And so as we look to Scripture today, we continue to look through Jesus' greatest teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. We're coming to the end of the fifth chapter, kind of the first third of the sermon. And uh, with this, of course, Jesus has been talking to us about God's law, the Old Testament, and how with Christ's coming, he's taken that law to a whole nother level as to what it means and how to live a life uh, for, for God's best. And if you thought everything that came before was a bit of a challenge, which I know I do, uh, this kind of knocks it out of the ballpark. One of the, the most important pieces of what it means to be a follower of Jesus as we pick up in Matthew 5 in the 38th verse, where again, he's pointing to the Old Testament and showing us something new. He says this, You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, well, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, well, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, well, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagan nations around us do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, may your presence and power show up somehow, some way in my words. And Lord, may it shape our hearts and lives so that we live differently and choose differently in this day especially to do relationships differently lord we need your help with that so i pray in jesus name amen amen now one of the most challenging aspects of life is how we handle relationships and how we go through life especially when those relationships get extra challenging when we're confronted by someone who isn't so nice to us, who maybe even does something that we feel hurt by or broken by, some kind of abuse or uh, something bad or evil, whatever it is, um, one of the great challenges for us as human beings is learn how to handle situations and relationships where things don't go well. You know, because... Human relationships can be a huge blessing. Friendships and family can be 
awesome and wonderful, just that sense of love and community. It's a critical piece to who we are as human beings. But when that relationship turns sour, um, it can leave a bitter taste in our mouth. And it can lead to, to just a path that really wrecks havoc in your life. So how are you doing this morning in your relationships? Well, some example of this, that a challenge that we've seen in our own family, uh, Lindsay, our oldest, has finally, she's doing her new job. She just got it a month ago. She's just this weekend moved to Washington, D.C. to work with USAID. They're the part of the government that helps do community work in nations like Honduras and Haiti and Africa and all those places. And so she's excited to begin this new journey up in D.C. And so she had her U-Haul van at our house on Thursday, and we were loading it to the brim. Uh, And then she had to go to a roommate's house that she's going to be living with, and they loaded it up with more stuff. And then she went to another roommate's and packed it full before they headed to Washington, D.C. And so Andrew and I, we met her on Friday as they were beginning the journey up to Washington, And when we got to the the stop, Andrea was going to go with her, and so that's why she's not here today. Uh, When we got there, Lindsay gets out of the U-Haul and says, man, people can be so rude. We're like, Lindsay, what's going on? It seems like you've had kind of a rough time. What, What happened? So she begins to tell the story. Well, yesterday we went down to Atlanta to load up the truck at my friend's house in downtown Atlanta. And of course, the U-Haul is kind of in the way. It's downtown Atlanta. And so there were, this car would beep up behind us. We had two cars. Can you believe it? They came up and they would just yell at us. Get out of the way. We've got to get through. Let us go. They were just, they weren't understanding. They weren't nice. They just were mean. And then a second guy, he came up and said, you know, I really need to get by so I can park in my driveway. And we said, hey, if you can just give us 10 more minutes, we're almost done and we'll be totally out of your way. And he was like, I guess I just got to park in the street, you know. And so he went off in a huff. And then she said, this morning, I went to my other friend's house and we were loading up the truck there. And this other lady came up and she was yelling at us that she needed to go through and And, you know, we were in her way and all this kind of, just everybody has just kind of been rude to us for the last two days. And uh, and sometimes life is like that, right? What do we do when we are treated in a way that we would not want to be treated? Well, Jesus gives us a path and an answer. And it's not the normal answer. The gut-level answer for most of us as human beings is, is probably a process that goes something like this. If what happened to Lindsay happened to me, the first thing I'd do is I'd probably get defensive, right? I'd be like, listen, we've got to load up this house. This is the only place we can park. I'm sorry, but we are here to stay for a while longer. Deal with it, Right? We begin to defend ourselves that, that we're just doing the best we can. And from defense, we begin to find, we, can we then retaliate? Maybe I need to get back at them. Andrea and her dad, would, especially when they were younger, they would like to pick on each other, you know, play tricks on each other and all that sort of thing. 
And whenever they do something to kind of annoy one another a little bit, you know what the other one would always say? Uh, Paul would always say this, payback's double. Payback's going to be double, right? And so that's what we do. When someone offends us, we want to get back at them. We want to retaliate. And if retaliation isn't enough, if the pain is so great or if the hurt is so destructive, perhaps we want revenge. We want that person to pay for what they've done and how they've done it. I mean, that's our normal gut and how we react in these situations, isn't it? That's how the world says that's how it works. And today, Jesus shares with us a lesson from the Old Testament that actually tries to control this impulse to retaliate and to get revenge. That Old Testament principle that comes out of the law of Moses is this, let there be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And this was actually a restrictive law, a restrictive principle that was trying to stop the process of escalation, right? When you get a conflict with someone, they do something to you, you do something back to them, they do something worse, you do, right? And so it just goes like this. And so the law of the Old Testament is to try to hold that back. So what the law actually says is, if someone punches you in the face and knocks out your tooth, you can't go back and hit them in the face so that they lose four teeth. You can only take one. That's the fair thing to do. And if someone pokes you in the eye so that you're blind in one eye, you can't go back like the three stooges and poke them in both eyes and make them blind. Because that's not fair. If they take your eye, you have a justice right to take their eye, but no further. It was a law to try to keep people from escalating conflicts. But Jesus says even that does not go far enough. And so instead of retaliating or even worse, seeking revenge, Jesus challenges us to do what? To go the extra mile. To go the extra mile. He says, don't even resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, just say, oh, ouch. Listen, I need it to be even. Can you hit this one too? Right? And he goes on and says, if someone wants to take your shirt, well, give them your shirt and then hand over your coat as well. You know, give them more than they ask for. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, well, go with them two miles. And be generous to anyone who asks you to be generous. Jesus' challenge for us here is to, to give up our right to retaliate to give up our right to retaliate and instead choose a path of, uh, well, of going the extra mile, of going the extra mile. And so um, to kind of give you an example where, our, again, our family has wrestled with this recently. You know, we all go through situations. Um, our house that, that we bought when we moved here, uh, the roof on it was, is, is about 17 years old. Right? So it's about that time where flaws start to appear. And, and we have a real steep one side of the house that, that you know, the shingles are on like this. So we've lost about half a dozen shingles on that side of the roof. And there have been about two or three that kind of dangle there. 
And I've been working for months to try to find somebody who might get up there and, you know, tack them back up or fix it for us. You know, I don't have the ladder to do that. And, and I never could find anybody. Nobody wanted to do it, you know. And, and so eventually, about a month and a half ago, our, our homeowners association, the HOA, begins to tell us, we've had reports about your roof. And you really need to get it fixed soon. And if you don't get it fixed in the next few weeks, we're going to start penalizing you weekly. And so, uh, you know, so we're like, okay, we begin talking to roofers, but in the midst of that, we have one, you know, Abby graduating from UGA. We got Mallory graduating from, uh, from high school. So we're busy. A couple of weeks go by, and we've talked to a couple of roofers, and we've kind of figured out it can't be a cheap repair job. We kind of need to either replace part of it or replace the whole thing. And then we got to figure out, do we try to get insurance to cover it or not? We're going through all this and they come back, you know, with a second letter. You've got a week. If you don't start working on it in a week, then you're going to pay. And my gut at that point, right, is to be defensive, to react, to not go the extra mile, to tell them, listen, we're doing the best we can. We've talked to some roofers. Just give us a time. Get off our backs. But we don't do that. Andrea is the one that is sharing the emails, and I kind of encourage her, let's just do our best to, to kill them with kindness. Let's just say to them, listen, we appreciate the HOA. We appreciate all the hard work you guys put in to keep our neighborhood great and beautiful. I know it's a lot of hard work, and you don't get a lot of appreciation for it. And, and so we just really appreciate all you're doing. And we're working on our roof. And we'll, you know, hopefully we'll get there where we can have this taken care of. Just hang on. Give us some extra time. And uh, the next letter came back was actually a good bit kinder and nicer and more gracious. And so last week, last Tuesday, we finally got our new roof on and so we hope we're, we're through that episode. But it's that same sort of challenge in those moments. How do we handle the situation? It gets easy to just retaliate. There's part of me that wanted to do that and say, hey, just get off my back, would you? But instead, we tried to go the extra mile in a way that might, instead of turning... Uh, the HOA into an enemy that might help them see us as allies and friends. And Jesus challenges us to do that in life, in everyday situations, in how we treat others, and in how, how we handle someone uh, that really has been bad to us. He says, go the extra mile. But, I mean, that's hard enough, Right? That's not easy to do. But then, if that wasn't hard enough, Jesus challenges us and says, listen, I really want you to go even a step further. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And actually, love your neighbor is in the Old Testament law. The hate your enemy is not there. But that's often what we would assume. That normal life says you love your neighbors and you hate your enemies but jesus counters that and says no love your enemies too and don't just love them but be willing to pray for those who persecute you and pressure you 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He says, why should we do this? We should do this because God the Father does this with all of us in this world. He says, for example, look at the sun this morning. The sun came up, and God didn't give sun to the good people and not give it to the bad people. You know, God gave the sun to all, gosh, we're almost 8 billion of us, I guess. God gives the sun to all of us to be warm, to have life, to live life on this earth, to have a chance to make a living, to have a chance to do the right thing, and not all of us do the right thing. But God still gives us a lifetime to figure out how to get it right. So he says, let the, he let the sun rise on the evil and the good. And then he says, on the rain. When the rain falls down, God doesn't look and say, okay, rain, clouds, you're going to rain on these right living people and you're going to make, we're not going to rain on the not, you know, the unjust, the evil people. And so he doesn't choose who the rain falls on. He doesn't choose which farmers are righteous and which farmers are unrighteous or which nation is righteous and which, he says, no, God's the kind of God, he loves us all in a way that he gives us all the things we need out of his love and grace because he is a loving God and he knows that love wins. And so he challenges us. Look at your own relationships. If you just love those who love you, then you aren't any different than the biggest sinner you know. Back then it would have been the tax collector, right? The unfaithful Jewish tax collector who is raising money for the enemy of Rome. And he says, if you only say hello to your own folks, what are you doing more than others? Even those in the nations of the world who don't know the Lord, even those pagans, they can love others and welcome others like that. And then he gives us this incredible challenge, brothers and sisters. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. Let your light shine. You are the salt of the earth. Be the flavor of this world. Brothers and sisters, the main way we do that is to seek to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. What is Jesus saying here? Is he talking moral perfection? No, I don't think so. Uh, our own heritage, John Wesley, said there was a thing as Christian perfection. And it's our job as followers of Jesus to seek to be made perfect in this life. When I was ordained, they asked me this question, Chris, are you seeking to be made perfect in this life? And my answer had to be yes. If it wasn't yes, then I wouldn't be here preaching in front of you because they wouldn't let me do that. But it's to be made perfect in love. To love God like we're supposed to love God. To love Jesus and the Holy Spirit and to let God work in our lives like God wants to in a way that we look more and more like our Father. And that ultimately means that we become people who love like the Father does. And that includes loving our enemies. And again, this is one of the hardest teachings ever. 
I mean, even in church we forget this, right? I just, I think of Fred Craddock that tells the story of the first Gulf War in the early 90s. They had a a prayer meeting down in Atlanta. Fred Craddock was one of the great preachers and teachers at Candler in preaching. And Fred tells this little story. They were doing a prayer meeting during the first Gulf War in the early 90s. And this young fella got up and they were, everybody was praying, you know, pray for our troops, pray for our country, pray for this, pray for that. And one young man got up and he, he said, Lord, I pray for the families, the men and women and the children in Iraq. I pray that you'd protect them and watch over them and keep them safe and, and not let harm come to them in the midst of the bombs and all this other stuff. And he said, Lord, watch out for them too. You know, in Jesus' name, amen. And as the young man kind of left the stage and after the prayer meeting wrapped up, an elderly fella got up that, that day and came over to the young man and said, young man, who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? You're praying for the wrong side. Apparently, this fella, though he meant well, had forgotten what Jesus says. The young man didn't forget. But the older man, who's probably heard the message on this passage at least a handful of times in his life, he forgot that we are to love our enemies and to pray for them who persecute us. And so we see in our life and world um, those that have taken Jesus at his word and have been in positions to make decisions have done things by living this out that have changed our world forever for the better. Let me give you some examples. The first one I think of is World War I. And in World War I, at the end of World War I, you know, the ferocious war, trenches, gas, all that stuff, no side really won. Finally, when Germany is willing to end it, Woodrow Wilson tried to come in with a peace plan that would be, that would be equitable that would try to help Germany become uh, a part of the community again. But Europe had been so burned by World War I and even stuff that had happened earlier than World War I, uh, they were having none of it. England and France and the other countries were like, no, Germany needs to pay for this. They need to pay for this bad. And so um, in a war, right, Germany ends up paying tons and tons of uh, reparations or whatever uh, for the damage caused in World War I. And it puts their whole economy, right, into a tailspin, into depression, and, and Germany was a mess in the early 20th century. And, but that decision to not uh, love their enemy came back to haunt them because it gave rise to the power of who we know as Adolf Hitler. He was able to step into that vacuum of brokenness, that vacuum of, of shame and bitterness, and he rebuilt the nation with this image of, we are going to get these guys back for what they've done. And of course, that led to the great tragedy of World War II. And then finally, at the end of the World War II, you had the Marshall Plan come in, and what did the Marshall Plan do? It went and helped rebuild not just France, but it helped rebuild also Germany. 
and it helped bring Germany more back into uh, a better relationship. So, so this has implications even for us. I, I think even in our own, uh, the Civil War, war between the states in our day, you know, a lot of people thought Abraham Lincoln and Grant were crazy when they let the South come back into the Union and they were kinder to them and they kind of welcomed them back. Uh, and a lot of people wanted to, to be hard on the South, right? But Grant chose not to do that. Abraham Lincoln chose not to do that because Lincoln's thought is, don't I destroy my enemy when I can find a way to once again make them my friend? And then in the 20th century, we could look at the examples of Mahatma Gandhi or uh, Nelson Mandela these people who saw the teaching of Jesus took it at face value and, and how Gandhi used that teaching to help India become free of England. And Martin Luther King, who knew the teaching of Jesus and knew what, how Gandhi had used it, came to our day and our age with segregation and, and an effort to end segregation. Martin Luther King came on the scene and said, we are going to love our enemies so much that they have to see the evil in this institution of segregation and racism, and they're going to have to dismantle it and destroy it. And though Martin Luther King didn't live really to see it, through his leadership, prophetic leadership, it came true because he believed that we don't destroy hate with hate, right? We destroy hate with love. And we don't destroy evil with evil, we destroy evil with good. In fact, uh, John Chrysostom, an ancient church father of 400 AD, said something similar. He said with this, these verses, you don't destroy fire by adding more fire, but instead you destroy fire with water. So the challenge for us these days is to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Um, do you want to be perfect? You can be. I mean, Jesus doesn't tell us this because it's impossible. He tells us this and challenges us and commands us, really. This isn't, these aren't really options, right? Going the extra mile is a command of Jesus. Loving your enemies is a command of Jesus. Praying for your enemies is a command of Jesus. And when we do it, it shines an incredible light that others will notice. And they are often seeds that bring peace and hope and the transformation our world needs. One, one last story and then one, one last little part. Um, the last story I think of is with uh, Betsy and, um, gosh, uh, God, now I can't think of it. Um, well, uh, The Hiding Place. Y'all know The Hiding Place? Corey Tinboom and Betsy Tinboom. Thank you. Uh, those that know Corey and Betsy's story, in World War II, they, they helped Jews escape from Germany. They were caught the last year or two of the war, and they were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. In, that, in prison, their dad died very quickly. Corey and Betsy lived in concentration camp, and just the last couple of months before they might have been released, Betsy also died. But one of the things Betsy would do there with lice and with 
you know, just hardly having anything to eat, ill-treated by the guards, all that stuff. One of the things that Betsy would do is she would pray for the guards. She would pray for the, the, those who were, uh, you know, kind of in charge of them. And, and I think it would annoy Corey to all get out. You know, Corey would be saying to her sister, Betsy, why are you praying for these people? They've put us in prison. They hardly feed us anything. They treat us like, you know, they treat us like junk. Why do you pray for them? And Betsy would say, well, that's what Jesus tells us to do. And it's in the light of Betsy's love for her enemies that Corey's, the rest of her life, she would live in ministry trying to reflect that same love and forgiveness for a broken Europe after World War II uh, that needed to be put back together. And her ministry helped put Europe back together in ways that no one else could. And it all came from a person who believed and did and lived out that love is real and love wins all. And so my challenge for you today, where are you in your relationships? How are they going? And can you take that next step in going the extra mile and letting the, the desire for revenge or the desire for retribution go and instead trust that God will oversee in his goodness and justice the right way? Uh, Paul talks about Jesus' teaching in Romans chapter 12, I briefly want to read that. He says this in Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful instead to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible as far as it depends on you. If it is possible as far as it depends on you. You can't control everybody else. You can't control you. Live at peace, he says, with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room instead for God's wrath. For it is written in Deuteronomy, it is mine to avenge, I will be the one to repay, says the Lord. So on the contrary, as it says in Proverbs, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. So do not be overcome by evil. But how do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good. And we trust the justice to God. So I want to close with one quote again by that ancient preacher, John Chrysostom, in 400 AD. Uh, he saw what Jesus was teaching here. And he gives us nine steps that we can take in this journey of loving our enemy. This is what he says. Neither did Jesus Christ simply command us to love the enemy, but to also pray. So do you see how many steps he has ascended, how he has set for us the very summit of virtue, right? The summit of being a, um, a light on a hill. If you want to be a light on a hill, take these steps is what he's saying. Mark it, numbering from the beginning, first step is not to begin with injustice. Not to begin with injustice. The second step, after you've begun, do not vindicate yourself by retaliating to the other in the same way. Do not vindicate yourself by retaliation. The third step, refuse to respond in the same way to the one who is injuring us, but instead remain tranquil 
The fourth step is to offer yourself up to even suffer wrongfully if that is the way. The fifth step, to give up even more than the wrongdoer wishes to take. Go the extra mile. The sixth step is to refuse to hate the one who has wronged us. The seventh step is even to love such a one who has wronged us. The eighth step, even to do good to that person. And then the ninth step, to entreat God and pray himself on our enemies' behalf. Nine steps, he says. Do you perceive how elevated is a Christian disposition? Hence, he says, its reward is also glorious. If we can live those nine steps out in everyday life, he says the reward is glorious. We will be that city on a hill. But it takes courage. It takes love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you will be that kind of Jesus follower. I'm trying to be. It's not easy. But we keep trying. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, um, I know as we each look at our lives, even in this moment, we can probably find people who, uh, who have hurt us or nicked us or or annoying us in some way, shape, or form. And, and Lord, uh, we find the test there. And so, Lord Jesus, pour your love in so that we can pour it out. If you don't pour it in, Lord, it's nearly impossible for us to pour it out. Um, but, Lord, you've called us to be perfect as you are perfect. You've called us to another level of Christian maturity, another level of following you in everyday life and decisions. And so, Lord, we lean on your grace today and pray for the help of your Spirit. Make us these kind of children who are like their daddy, Lord, so that we can really be lights and salt in a world that really